Yeah, I guess we'll have to, I don't know. I don't know what people want to hear us talk about, you know, when we're not talking about Succession, so... I, I think we, we should like talk a little about this show. let's talk a little bit about like what we're watching and like I, I want to talk a little bit about award season like the other shows that are you know like popular right now I'll, I'll, I want to talk like I just want to address euphoria a little bit because that's like the, the <laughs> big HBO thing it, it like surpassed succession and uh I was wrong it it really turned out to be a huge mess and I actually think like it's a nice kind of comparison when you read about what Sam Levinson was doing to his cast and crew versus like the very nice egalitarian system that Jesse Armstrong has going on. Um, and it, it, it absolutely shows and just like the creative output. So, but anyway, did you, you didn't happen to see, uh, I think, uh, Adam retweeted this, but the Armand White tweet, uh, where he tweeted out the screen cap of uh, like Spotify or something, had like the uh, theme from the Fury parentheses from HBO's Euphoria. No, I didn't see. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, I guess, there was a scene of Euphoria where they used the theme music from from the Fury, uh, oh, okay. but it's now tagged as being from Euphoria, from Euphoria. which is like. Which if which if uh, if Armand was a little bit more of a meme lord, he could have uh, put that with the classic uh, Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott quote. Right. Um. <laughs> Crossed out, yeah. But yeah, I, I mean, it is award season. I like that, so I'll do a little chatter about that. I, I will. I will. I will interview you about award season because I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've done we've we've done our pre-roll here, so kind of like Mark Marin style. I'm gonna be like, oh hey, in case you're just joining us, yeah. hey, what the fuckers. <laughs> bonus episode of Roycast, the original Succession podcast. My name is Brendan, and I'm joined as always by my co-host Gabby. Hey everyone, very nice to be here. We are recording a new episode, despite there being no new Succession to discuss. But after the end of the season, we definitely had some ideas for future episodes that we're going to talk about a little bit today. We want to decompress, obviously take the holidays, and then talk about the season more in retrospect with a little bit of time, but mainly we wanted to get back together and talk to each other and to our listeners again, because we kind of miss doing the show, hanging out and talking TV. Yeah, it's nice now without the pressure. Kind of reminds me of like season one again when we did 
our recordings after the fact, uh, like the 10 weeks when the season is airing and we have to, uh, we have this cycle of watching the show, texting each other furiously throughout the week, creating this outline. Um, it's fun and it makes it go by fast, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's different to look back on the season with all of that sort of uh, responsibility and also just like the the critics chatter and and the online chatter dying down a little bit and uh, completely um, transforming into uh, euphoria (laughs) Twitter (laughs) and euphoria discourse world. Um, it was a quick transition from succession to euphoria. And I, I, I know Brendan does not watch the show. Um, but as like HBO's second most popular show, I feel like, um, yeah, like I just, maybe we should say a word about it. I don't know. I am not (laughs) fundamentally like anti euphoria because of like, I think it's like, too salacious and it's unrealistic depictions of teens like I I actually don't think it's all that unrealistic at all um I really liked the first season and the beginning of the second season I thought started really strong um and like I was like texting Brendan like Jacob Elordi is gonna be competing with Kendall for like for Emmys and stuff like he's no idea who this is bringing his a game Brendan (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i i think um you know the lack of a real writer's room on that show definitely is you know a a serious impediment to its it's like creative output like like it's it's i think often about like the stories that i've read about sam levinson and he just writes it by himself and he shows up to set without a shot list and um, there were all these like SAG union com- complaints. They had to bring a union rep to the set because there were background actors who like weren't being fed and who were like hiding in bushes because they didn't want to be um, oh called up to to be in the background of a party scene because they just didn't know how long it would go on. Um, so you know, and even some of like the principal cast members had some complaints as well, and. Um, you could see some of the storylines that, that were interesting and that he teased out in season one kind of just fell by the wayside. And like, I, I don't know, I just imagine like Jesse Armstrong's beautiful, like uh, everybody, you know, debriefing with each other each morning over like a nice, beautiful cup of coffee, like all these lovely in a, writers. In a perfectly temperature controlled room. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> like not too austere, not ostentatious, just like lovely lighting and um them just like talking about these characters and shooting the shit and then i think about like sam levinson like his creative process just like writing these characters um you know like furiously (laughs) up late at night like we joke a lot about uh succession being the new game of thrones but the euphoria writing process sounds a lot more like the game of thrones writing process where you feel like it should be a whole room of like brilliant minds but it's just no it's just like one or two guys just winging it yeah, and like you know, I don't want to get too down on Sam. I still think the show is good. I think visually, it's um, you know, it's beautiful, and I think the actors do a great job. But like, man, he needs more writers in the room because some of those creative decisions towards the end were just awful. And he also needs help writing teenage girls and 
teenage friendships. Um, Ten hours yeah, of TV is just, uh, it's a lot to write. I mean, if you're just winging that, it's a I don't lot. know, it's just a, it's just a lot to put on one person. And I mean, like, how Mike, good you are. Mike White did it with White Lotus. I know you weren't super high on White Lotus. Well, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, some no- <laughs> I, I have some I, notes there. Yeah. I, I don't know if that's because of him. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just, it, it, it really um, made me appreciate uh, how, what I've read about the succession writers room and how they work and um, just Jesse's general approach to creating like a very, um, you know, harmonious set and <laughs> talks of, of Jeremy Strong torturing his castmates, uh, I think were greatly exaggerated over those two <laughs> weeks of discourse. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that these are are you know people who really deeply respect each other even if um you know they have different approaches and so forth and um yeah yeah, it's just like you know brian cox is he's earned the right to talk about people however he wants to talk about them (laughs) and if he wants to bitch about jeremy's process that's fine and if anything it it enhances their on-screen dynamic right well i think i don't think I think everybody is going to see the fruits of Jeremy Strong's process now that we've all seen the Batman and we've all seen the closing credits scene where it's revealed that Jeremy Strong is going to be the Joker in the Batman <laughs> 2 opposite Robert Pattinson. Wait, and wasn't he asked gonna... to be the Batman? <laughs> Jeremy Strong? No, I don't know. Didn't he making... De- I'm, make... I'm making a joke. <laughs> no, I think I think he actually, uh, you are, okay, but I think he actually declined the role. But Oh my gosh. Yeah, from, from everything that I've... Uh... I've seen in the the meme lord discourse that he was actually offered that role. <laughs> I may be maybe confusing that with our own fantasies where Jeremy Strong is Batman, but yeah, but Jeremy Strong won um, Screen Actors Guild Award. He yeah, won. award season. Let's talk about award season because I am not up on this stuff at all so yeah gabby just run this down what award shows have happened the succession is factored in so there was the golden globes which (laughs) was a hot mess um in that there was actually no broadcast and that wasn't because of omicron and covid but because the hollywood foreign press association is like in trouble for you know i don't know it's being sort of just like a patronage award show. I don't know. It, it, maybe the, it's also the first the, aw- the first the, the first award stuff show. Too. The first award show to be canceled in the vernacular sense of that word, <laughs> not so, just canceled by the network. Yeah. So so the awards were tweeted out. People were like, "What the hell is going on?" Because the, oh, the tweets were like not any sort of like uniform um, language. <laughs> they were just kind of like off the cuff. And then what was the thing about West Side Story where they, they like totally botched something with the oh, West Side Story? Oh, I don't Side remember. They, they, they ran them through all the different languages of the various members of the Hollywood Foreign Press in Google Translate and then back into English. Um, <laughs> and, that, and, that, and that's how you got the tweets and that's how they were announced. Um, which I think everybody agrees is the exact amount of gravitas that the Golden Globe should be treated with. So right. it, felt very, like... it felt very appropriate to me. I was very delighted just kind of like observing that spectacle from afar. Yeah. And like, uh, don't get me wrong. I don't like hold the Golden Globes in any sort of like uh, particular regard, but I was bummed out just because I feel like Succession has been shafted in terms of award shows because of it coinciding with the pandemic like we had the zoom emmys and um this was like a 
big Golden Globes show for um, for Succession, and like I love a red carpet. I love seeing the cast together. Um, and Sarah Snook won, and Jeremy Strong won, and the show won. Um, so like it just it just kind of made me sad. Like I I miss those pictures of them all together and like those special little moments. Um, the Golden Globes, you know, brings together um, all the big movie stars and all the big TV stars. And, um, yeah, it was just kind of this, like, sad little um, <laughs> Twitter show. But, you know, big wins there. Um, big congrats to Snook. Um, Jeremy, of course. And then, you know, the whole gang. Not that I think uh, there was much competition in the way of best drama. Although I think that's going to change this year for the Emmys in the fall. It seems like right after Succession ended, um, like a bunch of shows came out that, um, you know, people started uh, to pay attention to. It seems like we had a little bit of a a drought and then like it's like Yellow Jackets and Euphoria and um, I don't know, Yellowstone and all these other shows that people are talking about. so we'll see. I mean, the Emmys are kind of far off, but but um, we'll see what the competition looks like then. Call in, call into the Roycast if you uh, mixed up Yellow Jackets and Yellowstone when you were trying to find something to watch with your parents over the holidays. <laughs> call into the Roycast if you are this this viewer. Let us know. I feel like that has to have happened to somebody. It has to have happened, but I feel like both shows are like uh, are parent friendly. Like they're of that generation. Like. Um, Yellow. I didn't watch Yellowstone, but Yellow Mom, Jackets. Moms love Juliette Lewis. Moms loved Christina Ricci, Juliette Lewis. Um, yeah, I watched Yellow Jackets. I thought it was good. I thought it definitely benefited from a weekly release schedule. I think maybe showrunners are starting to realize that um, <laughs> there is uh, definitely benefit to releasing your show weekly. Um, evil from paramount plus um i tried to watch that i couldn't couldn't that's another that's the the kings the good wife and the good fight creative team yeah oh really yeah so i haven't the, seen it i've heard the, yeah, I've heard the good it. fight also happens to be nominated um for all mankind from apple tv uh-huh. did not watch that pose fx this is uh-huh. this is us i can't yep yep <laughs> um, laugh. serious business squid game uh yellow jackets and then succession so i think um oh yeah squid game that's interesting because squid game won big at the sags right which i will yeah I, I had no idea that was coming i was like that's so cool SAGs, i didn't watch i didn't watch squid game but that's obviously one of the big phenomenons of the year yeah yeah i i didn't watch it either until it won those awards at the sags um it they won they beat out um succession in the acting category oh well, SAG is all acting in the individual categories. So um, Snook was beat out and um, and then the the boys, Jeremy, I think it was Jeremy, Kieran, and Jeremy, Brian. Kieran. Yeah, they're all, yeah, they, I mean, which I mean, um, you got to feel like they were going to split the vote anyway in that category. Right. But that's like, that's like Netflix power, you know, Squid Game. Thankfully, they won, um, Succession won for ensemble which is you know much more important because succession is an ensemble show and you know there are going to be so many performances in this show that will just like 
be overlooked because you know the 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 lead performances and the principal characters are are such juggernauts. So the people who won um in everybody won an individual award for the ensemble SAG. So the the ensemble that was submitted that one was um Nick Braun, Juliana Canfield, Brian Cox, Kieran Culkin, Digmara Deminchek, Peter Friedman, Jihei, Justine Loop, Matthew McFadden, Dasha Nekrasova, Scott Nicholson, David Rash, Alan Ruck, J. Smith Cameron, Sarah Snook, Fisher Stevens, Jeremy Strong, and Zoe Winters. And Haima Boss was there, and it kind of seemed like she got an award, but... Um, she's not she's not named she wasn't submitted yeah but it was lovely and it was kind of like it kind of yeah um, it's cool to see all those folks on stage because they don't necessarily get invited to or go to all the all the right yeah yeah i um fisher stevens wasn't there david rash wasn't there unfortunately i think um sarah was stuck in australia and matthew we know that he um you know tends to stay close to home um in in london with his family and um but it was lovely to see them all together and like looking so happy jeremy in his pretty and pink crushed velvet suit on trend for the season um like i said earlier speculation about jeremy strong terrorizing his castmates greatly exaggerated we've talked so much on the show about how much we appreciate every member of that ensemble you know and uh how you know, the show makes room for them to like actually give like interesting and sort of like thought out performances, even when the writing is, you know, sometimes expository or functional, you know, there's mm-hmm. always like room for like, you know, performance and variation within that. Um, and yeah, some of those actors, especially I'm thinking of like Juliana Canfield is just somebody who has like a very small role and has become like really beloved by people who watch the show closely because yeah, of how, absolutely. how inside it she is. Um, yeah, that's really cool. So yeah, we're, we're clinging to these bits of stuff. news about awards season because we don't know uh, how much more news there is going to be about the show for the next year and a half. We don't know when yeah. the next season's going to come out. We know that they're writing right now, but, um, you know, guesses as to when the next season would come out. I mean, I think Brian Cox said at one point it might not be until mid-2023. So yeah. we, could have a, we could have a while to wait here. Yeah, I would say next spring, summer, um, you know, it's all going to depend, obviously, on lots of different schedules, but they are writing, um, so that is exciting. We mentioned, you know, towards the end of the season that we wanted to kind of keep chatting off season, and we have some ideas of just different topics. Uh, Brendan and Adam, Adam Naiman are... Uh, season three premiere guest um, recently had a discussion about uh, David Fincher's The Game. So if you're a Fincher head, uh, if you're a, a Michael Douglas head, um, yeah. that will be that will be coming to you at some point. Very yeah, exciting. I think, I think I'm not sure exactly when we're going to put this out, but uh, we will try to have these episodes out within, I think, uh, a few days of each other. Yeah, basically I talked a little bit about these ideas that we've had when we were talking about how the podcast could continue even on just like a limited basis between seasons i think we assumed like right away that we wouldn't try to dig too much into the episodes of succession themselves you know not that our podcasts are exhaustive but they're pretty thorough in terms of what we feel strongly about and feel comfortable analyzing and i think there's 
absolutely point of diminishing returns we could hit if we were to go back and mm-hmm. take a second look. For example, those early episodes. What we were talking about instead is this idea of like a succession bibliography. Um, right. Like we've talked plenty of times about like the cultural and the historical allusions that the show is packed with. Um, we thought like digging into some of those, like the conversation we had with Everett Rummage about Napoleon or some of our conversations about Shakespeare and method acting with Isaac Butler. Um, those wouldn't just be fun to pursue for us, but like value added for our listeners. You know, um, so we did record, Adam and I did record an episode um, where we talked about David Fincher's 1997 film The Game, which we talked about a little bit when Adam was on to talk about the season three premiere. It's a movie that's like absolutely in the creative DNA of succession um, and mm-hmm. as well as I think just like a fascinating kind of just like cultural object, just like as a movie um, in its own right. So we had a really fun conversation about that. Um, hopefully it'll be out soon. And that episode, uh, we recorded a few weeks ago and it's already wildly dated because it contains Adam and I riffing about don't look up. And oh my the, God. <laughs> and the, it's not uh, that, that dated, you know, that's nominated and, for stuff. Well, we were also riffing about the Oscar nominations, which I knew nothing about. So, yeah, I I don't even remember what we said, but you can laugh at whatever we got wrong if we did. Um, And so for, yeah, so for future episodes and that sort of like vein of just like the succession bibliography, we don't want to commit to too much. We're still feeling out what this can be, but. Yeah, maybe like the the Disney war stuff. It's like Murdoch, Disney. um, Yeah, the literary influences on the show. We've talked about things like crime and punishment, things like that. Discussions of other TV shows and films that Succession draws from. Oh, I should mention just speaking of like uh, kind of so much TV coming out. I feel like after Succession that the the discourse moved on pretty quickly. Although I, I think it's still very much... Um, um, lingering in, in certain circles and in people's minds. Uh, Righteous Gemstones has yeah. very, is excellent, has very, very clear parallels to Succession. I absolutely want to do a whole episode on Gemstones and maybe just like the greater McBride Hill universe. Yeah. Um, I thought season two was excellent. Brendan, I know like I checked in with you maybe like halfway through season two of Gemstones and you were you said it was you were enjoying it but maybe you thought that um it had room to get like a little darker i love these shows eastbound and down vice principles gemstones um i do feel like gemstones is for me probably the weakest collaboration of those um and i would love to get into why uh because i think that um like eastbound and vice principles are like really unique and i think really really strong works and i think looking at how they're different from gemstones is really really fascinating to pull apart um watching gemstones is fun for me just because uh specifically like jna mcbride and ed patterson could literally make me laugh like reading the dictionary i find them just their mannerisms and their speech just so funny um it's packed i mean you know, Walton Goggins. I mean, Eric Roberts on this season Eric of Roberts Gemstones. Eric Roberts was so good. Eric, Eric Roberts, I don't know how many people are familiar with what Eric Roberts has been up to for the last, like, couple decades, but Eric Roberts like, may be the most prolific actor, I think, ever, uh, or at least living in Hollywood right now. He The amount of work that he does is, quite frankly, staggering. You know, the number of films that he shoots every single year. Um, but it's been a long time since he was in something, I think, this high profile, and I think something that, where he was, like, really this dialed to what the creative tone of the thing is he's so wonderful on gemstones i just wanted more of him i wanted so much more yeah there was a funny meta textual moment um when like eli and um eric roberts character are meeting in a diner and and he talks about oh i've I've just been doing character work for a while Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. Was, uh, I mean, the last thing that people would have seen him in is probably like the Dark Knight, where he played just like you know Sal Maroney, some some gangster yeah. or whatever. Uh, not a, not a, but, not a great role for Eric Roberts, but this was just but so, I thought, so wonderful. I thought the second season was like basically perfect, so I'm definitely curious to dive into that with you. I I've watched Eastbound and Down a while ago. I need to rewatch it, and I started watching Vice Principals. Um. So yeah, I, I'm definitely curious about that, and maybe we'll get a a, a guest going for that too because um, yeah, yes. gemstones, gemstones definitely is a big one. Yeah, um, that that there's a lot to say about um, it's you know sort of the bones of it are 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 <laughs> we're very similar to Succession almost sometimes in just like a, a a little bit on the nose type of way. Yeah, both shows very much in tune with like the zeitgeist. Um, yeah. those, I mean, those, those McBride, Jody Hill shows have always been like, yeah, very, like very dialed in, um, to certain subcultures and trends. Um, yeah. So I, I would love to talk more about those at length at some point. Cause I won't do yeah. it. And if, if, you know, if anyone has any, any thoughts about things that they'd like to hear us chat about, um, or suggestions, you know, our DMS are always open. So hit us up. Absolutely. Yeah. Ideas for future episodes, stuff along the lines of that succession bibliography for us to cover. Yeah, absolutely. Hit us up anytime. Still checking the DMs. Um, so yeah, should we talk a little bit about succession season three? Yeah. How do we feel about it in hindsight? It. Yeah. Uh, I, I gotta say, um, uh, I've sat on it for a few months and I don't like the show anymore. Uh, <laughs> I, re- I regret all the time we spent talking about it. No. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, That's I was, it. I was looking back at a couple of the episodes, you know, this weekend, just, you know, as you suggested, you know, like, see what it's like to watch the show, you know, absent this sort of like deafening media hype mm-hmm. and discourse and, you know, just trying to, in like, in the, <laughs> in the absent, the effort of like trying to shut all that out and also like the pressure of trying to have the definitive take on the show right. while it's airing and just enjoying it. Yeah, and I'm wondering just, like, kind of how you think uh, the season kind of, like, stands up um, because, you know, there was so much conversation, you know, during the season about how, oh, season two was such a classic and, you know, is season three going to live up to it? And I don't I don't know if we ever really got into this at the time, like, like on the podcast, but I think we are kind of in agreement that we, you know, had some big issues with how season two was kind of structured and for me, I don't know, I feel like season three was kind of stronger on the whole, I think, or, or I think I felt like it had higher highs. What did you think? How yeah, the, how the season I, stands I, up? I still agree. Um, you know, like I, I know a lot of people still um, hold season two as, you know, this like, um, I don't know, just perfectly structured. And yeah, I still don't really quite get that. Um, I think that season three particularly like the last three episodes kind of followed a similar um narrative arc or even just like you know structural to season one um you got like prog then prenuptial then you know the wedding and yeah yeah season three was kind of similar and i thought um i just yeah, like, uh, I, I was watching, I, I watched, I didn't get to the finale, but I watched, like, the first eight, rewatched the first eight, and was watching them in, like, threes, and, um, 
you know, Succession's not really a show that's, like, best binged watch, but I can watch a few episodes um, for sure and, and still feel like I'm getting, you know, what I need to get out of it. And, um, yeah, it just, it grew on me more. Like, even the even the, the, the first episode, which we were kind of hard on, uh, I mean, you know, everything in, in, in hindsight, obviously. Um, well, you, you say uh, we were too hard on the, on the premiere. Uh, I, well, I, I had that thought watching uh, an episode of another certain splashy prestige drama that shall remain nameless. Uh, but I watched an episode, the first episode of this show after coming back from COVID. And that was one of the most brutally depressing hours of TV I've ever seen. It was just like a dead show walking. Like, all the life had been drained out of the series. You know, the direction, the acting, just completely stiff and morbid. It, it, like, in high, I, was, I was like, Jesus, we really were too harsh <laughs> on Mark Bylod and the succession What are you crew. talking about? I'll tell you off air. Because <laughs> <Okay. laughs> there, there are certain reasons I don't want to be too harsh on this show. I think I might know, yeah, show. yeah. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, I've definitely seen some other shows really struggle a lot worse right. to come back from, from COVID shooting than Succession did. In comparison, yeah. they really did hit the ground running. Absolutely. And then, like, I, I think season one maybe had some... I mean, episode one had some stuff that maybe was a little superfluous, but... Um, yeah, then the transition into Mass and Time of War. Woo! Like, I know that you, for you, that was you know, the big, like, kahuna of the season. And I definitely get it more now. Um, you know, even though there's not, like, a, any sort of, like, flashy set piece uh, or production, like, that, those conversations they had. And although they did a great job with, with you know, Rava's apartment and Sophie's room and, and so forth. Um, yeah, that conversation between Ken and the siblings, um, was just, you know, as good as it gets with this show. And, um, yeah, it's funny. I was, I finally got a Patreon subscription to, to Age of Napoleon. Um, that's Everett Rummage's podcast. He's our guest on the disruption. Um, he's just excellent. And, um, (laughs) I was going back and listening to episodes from like, you know, 2017 or whatever. And he mentioned like Joseph Haydn and I was like, Oh, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and you know, Joseph Haydn being the, the composer who wrote mass and time of war, which is the, right. you know, what the episode is named after. And just, um, yeah, just, it, it really helped, um, you know, the, the emotional resonance of that episode. Um, I think, uh, I think I definitely under, was it was underappreciated by me um, at the time, just because I was a little bit worried about like, um, yeah, just the 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 way that it kind of felt a little bit claustrophobic. The two first yeah, two episodes, yeah, yeah. just like everybody in rooms, um, which is you know, the succession is kind of a show about people in rooms, about people uh, right? In rooms, yeah. People in rooms trying to be happy. Uh, Chevroy right, even right. says that in <laughs> season one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just like, and then it just takes off. Like, the disruption is different pacing. You know, it it, it kind of like flips episodes one and two. I think um, over for like a more kind of like high paced, uh, you know, different um, 
different rooms. <laughs> different, different yeah, scenes. should we should we talk about the sort of like rankings of episodes? Because I think this will get into yeah. some of these some of these distinctions here. Because uh, we were we were comparing notes, Gabby and I, are about like how we would rank the episodes, and you know they were, we have like different preferences, but I think we like kind of agreed on what like the upper crust or the like tier one of the mm-hmm. season is, which is like Mass and Time of War, what it takes. Uh, too much birthday, Chianti Shire, and all the bells say. Basically, those last four episodes, uh, plus Mass and Time of War, as mm-hmm. being like this season, kind of like at its best. And we've got like three Mark Mylod episodes in there. And so, what I was thinking about when you were talking about the disruption just then, you know, a big part of the reason that I, you know, I rank those episodes really highly is because there's there's things that this show does well and things that it does better than any other show I think on TV right now mm-hmm. um and those and those Mylod episodes you know Mylod being the guy who's like been so key to developing the show's style I feel like that's where like the things that the show is really good at like creating this sense of like momentum and mm-hmm. feeling of just like uh of convergence of things happening just like through conversation and through character dynamics and through the sense of like personal history that also interacts with the sense of like an external like world or political history of you know of momentous things happening you know just out of view of possibility like that stuff is like really present for me in in, like in mass and time of war and then especially in those last two episodes it's a little and it's a little bit muted where they're trying to get things back together in the season premiere um but that's why but i I always rate those my episodes really highly because it's not just that i feel they're really good but i feel like that's where the succession is really distinct and is doing things that other shows just simply can't do and it's, right. it's what makes the show unique yeah and then we didn't talk too much about the direction of well we i don't think we really talked about loreen scafaria's direction at, at all we didn't yeah that was a real episode. oversight on our episode yeah yeah because that that is a that was a really really beautifully shot and staged episode um but there was so much to talk about. Like, there's so much content in yeah. that episode that we got a little bit carried away. But um, I would, you know, definitely keep that at my it's, top. It's sometimes difficult for me to pull out, you know, um, you know, when you have these episodes, like these big party episodes, um, a lot of the heavy lifting you feel is being done by kind of the design work and the production design, which, you know, the director may have a big hand in. They may yeah. not. Um, a lot of that stuff is done by people who are producing the whole season. So, you know, so much of that episode is being done by, like, you know, the um, the just, like, the design of those incredible party sets and the soundtrack mm-hmm. choices and things like that. Um, that it can become difficult to kind of, you know, burrow down and appreciate things like the shot choices and how Scafaro is directing that performance. I think it's really clear, like, if you... Uh, I, I read Jeremy Strong talking about that episode a bit. It was very clear that that was one of the, ep- one of the episodes where he felt like you know, he, he specifically shouted out Scafaria's direction of him and his performance and their conversations about the character, um, which I think is, is, is really striking because he's somebody who obviously is very protective of his character. So it was right. great that he, he was able to, you know, they were able to really find a collaboration there with her only being there for, for one episode. And then things like that, uh, that argument between the siblings at the end, you know, with the, which is a great Kieran Culkin scene. Um, yeah. I think is, yeah, really beautifully done. I mean, I tweeted like a couple weeks ago there's still just like one scene from succession season three that can make me cry on command um it doesn't take a lot to make me cry but you know succession um yeah it's a show that's made me cry like a little bit but for some reason i don't know what it is i don't like i don't know if it's the lighting and i think it's the combination of the lighting the music that was playing um but that 
last scene with the siblings in Too Much Birthday, um, where, you know, Kieran is sort of, uh, riding high and, um, they, um, like the, the paradigm shifts. And for the first time, like, um, Roman is on top and, uh, it, it was a very, very low point for, for Kendall and Chip. And I don't know, that scene actually is the one scene that if I think about, um, and I think it's also just the way that, that the music was used. Uh, I, I really cry thinking mm. about it. I think there was so much pathos there. Um, and it was just like for a, a, a party episode to get, um, just like so much, um, emotion out of those characters and then like Kendall's silly little fall. Um, I just like, I think about it and I get so sad. Like I, 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 you know, that episode for me. And then of course, like it also has like some of the absolute funniest moments of the series, like the, the compliment tunnel, um, it's just like <laughs> unreal. Yeah, and I gotta absolutely. say an, a, another thing upon rewatching is maybe I've been a little hard on Nick Braun and Greg. Um, I still maintain that I don't think that the, uh, the romance line really worked. Um, but I do think that, um, I was a little bit harsh on Nick Braun, like rewatching mass and time of war and that <laughs> scene where the, the lawyer pops up at his door. Like it was so, it's so oh. fucking funny. It's so funny. And I know that we've said that like Greg is only good, uh, insofar as he's like, um, you know, bouncing off of Tom and that like McFadden really brings out the best in, uh, in Nick Braun. But yeah, like that scene in season two, with the, I mean, in episode two with the lawyer um, made me realize that, uh, you know, there are other ways that they can deploy Nick, I think. Um, but for whatever reason, we don't have to get into it. Um, the, the, the romance stuff just didn't work. And I think. Well, it's was... I think I think what we're honing in on is that it depends very much who his scene partner is. Right. And the actor yes. in that scene who's playing that that lawyer is a it's a wonderful little performance. You know, we right. you know, we don't we don't remember that guy's name. You know, we never see him again. You know, it's, it it's so not funny. clear what his significance it is. But he but yeah. there's so much just like weird, just sort of like uh, it's, it's 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 just a it's a wonderful little uh mini masterpiece of mannerism yeah you said it had condescension there yeah peep show absolutely yeah 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 and yeah and and in that uh in that first tier um you know you also have uh what it takes directed by andre park which i think is you know those other episodes you know i think you could find like quibbles within them you know like mass and time of war obviously like they're still figuring out how to like move between certain sets like you are like mm-hmm. we do spend a lot of time in that hotel with logan and right, Marsha, right, and that right. stuff is it's it's and uh, some, some of that stuff gets to feel a little bit extraneous if if only because everything that happens in rabba's apartment feels so momentous and feels so right. compelling um but what it takes i think might be the episode where like every member of the cast is like so well used and the overall yeah. plot is so good everybody is it's so used, good everyone is used so well there greg is used great in that episode tom is that's one of the best tom episodes kendall was a bit more sidelined but i was just thinking again today and cracking up about his bit at the beginning where he goes well uh i love sexual assault and i love to cover it up um, <laughs> oh my god yeah his, de- his delivery of that line i was just yeah like, oh. I, I i discovered a new 
Jeremy face rewatching what it takes. Um, like maybe I missed this the first time, but when he meets with Tom at the diner and Tom like orders like a disgusting amount of food and the way that he's like looking at Tom as he's placing this order, um, it's such a hilarious face. And, it's very um, just like unguarded condescension of like, oh, you're eating real food, ugh. Right, and it and it <laughs> you're almost poor like people food, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it 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 just like so seamlessly um, glides into like his dialogue about Tom being, you know, the the corn fed, like you're far from home, and um, you know, really trying to dig into his his insecurities. Um, you know, Kendall just yeah. Uh, and his machinations but that is a near perfect episode um and some of the stuff in the in the overall season that that i've found a bit frustrating like the shiv arc i thought was so beautifully expressed without really being underlined in that episode you Mm -hmm. know all the like subtle digs at her and the more overt digs at her and the way that you know that image of her like in the in the border of that photo with jared menken at the end just so I thought eloquently sums up her position in the series. You know, that's one of the things looking back on the season that is dissatisfying to me um, is just, is just the Shiv arc. I talked a little bit about this on our finale episode because I was just trying to make sense of it. And mm-hmm. I don't think I voiced this, but one of the things that occurred to me was that it's, it's very similar. I feel to what uh, Mad Men did with Peggy in season mm-hmm. six, where I, I, I felt she had a very similar kind of arc that was very much about, her just being stymied and frustrated right. by the men in her life and the men who have influence over her and how she's trapped by nature of her position and her gender right. uh, within you know the apparatus that she that she works in um, and you know it makes a point but it's not terribly satisfying to watch for for viewers. No, it's a little bit flattening, I think, of char- of you know a character that had been so well developed and written. Um, talking about Peggy and Mad Men Shiv. I- I don't know, you know, I think I think it was necessary to show a little bit more um of how powerless she is. Um, you know, because we get a little bit of it in season 2. Something that we talked about so much uh in season 3 was Logan's like, you know, real overt and kind of mm. um brash misogyny and yes. I think Shiv is an important vehicle for that because she's, oh, she's like, she's the favorite daughter. Logan loves her so much. But then we see Logan really humiliate her yeah, um, and, you know, um, um, make her subordinate to his assistant who he's just, you know, recently started sleeping with. And yeah, it's like the early episodes of the show and early seasons of the show we like we know Logan is not you know a champion of women, but you know he's got Jerry close and he's got Shiv close and and um you know I think uh sort of cracking open the whole um you know underlying misogyny and all of this is uh yeah. is important. But you're right that that what it takes did it in a way that um it was more showing than telling like. You know, the fact that there just there weren't a lot of women there. It felt kind of like this creepy boys club. Um, Shiv is getting sidelined. Even just like the the conversations um, that these like right wing politicians are having, uh, you know, the rape and the red pill and, and all of that. 
I see what you're saying that like, it, uh, you know, by episode seven, it was like the, the, the big shift thing was that she like got drunk and did a crazy dance on the dance floor. And yeah. um, that was funny. And it was like good comic relief and it made sense. But yeah, I see what you mean. Um, the character is just is it's just for me it feels like the character is calling out is is is, be- is begging for this moment of self-recognition or of some kind of transformation which like kendall mm-hmm. has right when he has his breakdown and his confession and uh roman has when he stands up uh to his dad and i guess shiv and i, I and this is where i would say that i think shiv's arc is actually a better and more fuller one than the one that peggy has in that season of Mad Men. Because I don't think that there's any anywhere near a catharsis like the one of seeing Shiv, you know, like realize that she's been, you know, stabbed in the back by her husband. Um, right. Uh, but again, it just it feels like another it, in, a, in a whole season where this character is continuing to get beaten down. I don't know. It just you you want to see a little bit more. You want to see. Yeah. I, you want to see what happens next for her. So I'm just I'm just really hoping that there is something different for her in the next season. Um, yeah, for sure. I, I think. I think it was important to yeah. to see that that Shiv, um, no matter her status, is still gonna be, um, she's always the woman, she's always the girl, and and it all it provides a little bit also just like um, more historical context, more world building context in terms of what it was like, you know, as children in their house, her being the only girl, and the way that she had to. Uh, you know, develop these yeah. sort of d- defenses and this armor. Um, another thing about the season, like uh, everybody lavishes praise on Alan Ruck, which is much deserved. Like he is just excellent. Um, he's another person that I'm so glad got the SAG award because mm-hmm. um, he'll, uh, it's unlikely that he's ever going to get, you know, an individual yeah. award, but he's so excellent. Um, but a lot of people are like, oh, Connor's like, you know, if you took him out, like, it wouldn't really matter. Um, I'm like, I don't know. I, oh, I no, think no. that huge part of the like emotional fabric and the personal yeah, absolutely. I think Connor, what yeah. we learned this season about Connor's role um, as sort of like a surrogate father, um, Connor being privy to sort of more of like the disgusting stuff that you know, dad and, and the wolf pack and all of, um, you know, the, the, the historical wrongdoings that he saw more. Um, and also just the context that we even get like very, uh, quickly of just like, oh, well, Connor didn't see dad for three years. Um, I think that, yeah, that's like very important emotional architecture. And I'm glad that, um, you know, they've, they've kept, ruck around and i think that that stuff works really well i think it um it makes total sense i'm a little bit like wary about how they're gonna handle him in what's gonna be like a political season you know because there's a there's like a a, there's a chance that his political stuff can get kind of like hokey maybe a little overly campy um, I'm they, I mean, they handled the political stuff so well this season that right. I feel like no, no, that's, I, I can only it was, be optimistic about it. It's yeah. been so good, and I'm so excited about it. And, like, if we mm-hmm. don't get Justin Kirk back, I'm fucking quitting the podcast and <laughs> protesting outside of Jesse Armstrong's office because, like, yeah. the Justin Kirk stuff was – it still hits so hard on the rewatch, like Kim and Roman. Yeah. And I wouldn't even mind if, like, Yule Vasquez came back uh, – 
Linda Emond, I don't know if she'll come back, but like just, I mean, they handled it really well. Again, like uh, some of the like British influence um, maybe sort of uh, makes some of the, the timeline stuff a little weird or, or the, the yeah. um, procedural stuff. But um, I think it's going to be super fun to have a, a political season. Um, and to see Roman go like full uh, right wing 4chan bot farm. Um, well, now that he has no money anymore, I don't know how much of an influencer he'll be able to be. But. I know. There's everyone's talking about how like <laughs> the three of them are going to like shack up in Long Island City and like it's going to be a glimpse of seeing the poor Roy's. Although, yeah, I mean, I know that's another thing that. Um, was frustrating for you, Brendan, just like the, yeah. the lack of the lack of clarity about the deal. And I'm sure that they're they're working on it and we'll get lots of clarity. But the show usually does a good job at um like uh, Well what I've making, what I've what I've said yeah. before is that I think with this show I can intuitively trust that even if they don't explain it to us, that they've thought through all the details mm-hmm. and that the business stuff, the legal stuff you know, they've got, you know, high, they've got like big dollar consultants in the room. They've got anybody they want on the phone who can talk them through this stuff and explain it to them. But right. I got to I got to say, after sending, you know, an insanely unhealthy amount of time reading the Succession subreddit and reading all these posts about uh. this, people trying to explain <laughs> this stuff. I read all the stupid Slate articles and whatnot. Try explain to me what happened you know, legally, business-wise, in the mm-hmm. finale episode, I still don't understand it. I'm not convinced that it makes sense. Like, it's clear what's meant to have happened, but is it plausible? Right. Does it make sense legally? I'm not totally convinced that it does. So that's still that's still a, a, a sort of a lingering doubt I have about the finale episode. It's just that not everything totally makes sense to me, and there's some unanswered sure, questions. Sure, yeah, in terms of the, you know, the yoga babble, the specifics, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the laws and stuff... But I think thematically, obviously, um, the, the point is made. Yeah, the yeah. point is made. Um, Tom, that needed to happen. Um, there was, <laughs> you know, it, it it was a. There was nowhere else for Tom to go. I mean, something something had to give. Something had to break. Um, and yeah, it's it's very satisfying watching yeah. rewatching the show, knowing what happens you know what tom's ultimate um you know decision is um yeah. and seeing sort of like uh, you know the writers always plant this stuff very delicately throughout the course of a season um yeah but it's it's excellent to see um mcfatty and also just like just such a good job even when he's not speaking just uh communicating changes in how he feels and uh, you know, I think about the What It Takes episode when he comes back from that meeting with Kendall and, like, that eye contact with Shiv. Um, mm-hmm. Just, like, a, you know, very... Um, very significant in hindsight, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and that's when, you know, he really starts to, uh, I think, maybe... Um, yeah, and then there's oh, there's the whole added dimension of, like, the, the baby stuff and the way that Shiv handles that and um, her sort of callousness about it. Um, a rich, a rich but, tapestry. I mean, yeah, the stuff in that finale episode that works, obviously, like the emotional stuff, lands. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they're they're so good at. I mean, 
obviously their finale came and just landing these like just gory emotional blows i mean like that's where the show earns you know the joke that everybody makes about how it's the new game of thrones because watching that finale you do feel like you just saw somebody's get their throat ripped out or something like that it does kind of feel that way and it's like just about you know stocks and (laughs) business holdings and stuff about about stocks yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) um I mean, according to, like, my closest, uh, you know, like, friend that is in the finance world who watches the show, um, you know, she sort of made it out to to me that it was, um, you know, basically the type of thing where the kids will, if this goes through, the kids will still be, um, like, shareholders, but they'll their shares will be, like, very much diluted and they'll sort of just be... Um, figureheads you know fig- yeah like they'll be um <laughs> you know Aronson types as, uh, as uh, the, or, or even lesser said. yeah yeah so they, they won't have any influence so it's more about the fact that they're just um loss of stature you know, they'll be pushed out like like gojo yeah. will push them out um and and try and you know dilute their power as much as possible so it's more so like they're not going to be poor you know they're not gonna um yeah yeah, so. I think I think understate. Yeah, I, I think I I do think some of those details matter just to understand, you know, what the import of that, you know, that that betrayal is. That it's it's not so much about like the kids are materially devastated, but it's about a loss of this chance of self actualization for like having control and agency, and also obviously this like total rejection by their parents, right? Right. Um. Yeah. I mean, just the the final dagger, just of of Caroline doing that to them. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. I don't know. Maybe I, I don't know if we're going to get more of, of Harriet Walter, um, more of Skarsgård. I would love to have more of both of them. They are fabulous. Yeah, um, they, they could really do a lot of things this upcoming season. I hope they do something really strange and different. Um, yeah, I hope so, too. I mean, they've got there's going to be an election. They've got politics stuff to work with. They have the fallout from you know, from this. And I'm sure that they are also somewhat confused at the legals of it and are spending time kind of like parsing it. Um, yeah. Going back into the sh- writer's room, sipping their tea and be like, all right, fuck who, who has how many shares they're opening up, <laughs> like pulling down a giant, just like she, like the, the uh, blackboard gag from a serious man right. where it's just like stocks everywhere. It's like, <laughs> Yeah, and uh, it's it's interesting because it's all tied up in in the divorce also, um, and you know, and uh, Caroline getting remarried, and you know, there's yeah. perhaps fertile ground there for them to explore with uh, Mr. Munyon and so forth. Um, but I think yeah, there's a ton to look forward to. Was there? We didn't really talk about. Um, yeah, to just quickly go through like so we talked about like our tier one of episodes, right? Yeah, tier one. To talk about just like the others, just like briefly my thoughts on this. So I can I would put in tier two, right? Um, retired janitors and disruption, and these are still like I don't know. I don't like do ratings or whatever. But instead, these are still like a episodes. Like these are great, of course, episodes of TV. But again, like I, I, the way I framed this at the beginning is like they're episodes where Succession is doing the stuff that no other show can do, and that's what I put in like that top tier. And these are like exactly, you know, yeah. retired janitors, great farce, really funny, but it feels you know feels a little veepish at times. You know, feels mm-hmm. it, it's it's Succession in a slightly different register, and the disruption too, um, in a different 
different zone you're in a lot more locations covering a lot more plot less time for these sort of like long like ensemble scenes to develop you know mm-hmm. really good stuff great direction by kathy gannon the disruption um but not quite the mode that i prefer the show in or not the mode that i think you know makes the show like the best thing on tv um but right. still really good television i um, yeah still just like top of the top it almost feels like a fool's errand to like rank them but absolutely yeah, totally. echo what what brendan is saying about just yeah just the the, the exceptional aspects of the sort of the the top tiers and um and then yeah, yeah so then in the in the lower category i would put you know we've talked we talked a lot about our issues with the season premiere secession you know there was a, a point i forgot to make there um but um but uh and, and that episode that, that bugged me but I, thinking about how that i thought that that episode kind of struggled to recapture some of like the magic of like the acting and the dynamics on the show was i was i was looking at the scene where um Tom and Shiv are on the phone in the in the plane, right? They're calling each mm-hmm. other from the planes and they're crowded in the bathroom and the camera's really tight on their faces as they're talking about, you know, like, ooh, should I should I suggest you for CEO or do you want right. it or whatever? And my mind flashed back to that scene in um Argestes where Shiv is in the bathroom mm, at the coffee shop yeah. or whatever, right? And she is like and the scene is telling you something about Shiv, right? About how out of place she feels, right? Through her, you know, the, accidentally setting off the hand dryer, you know, like trying to like right, wash, right, right. wipe her hands or whatever. It's like these characters are like on the phone, but you're learning things about them, like the body language, the acting things, are, are that they're telling you things about the characters and what they're going through. And like here, but here instead, you just have these two really tight close-ups, and that for me, yeah. I thought was representative about of how the episode just felt a little bit stiffer and a little bit narrower and right. less expressive than the show can be again in comparison to how some other shows handled covid they came they hit the ground running and they recovered very right. quickly um and but, they uh, and and my my lot admitted that, that was a restraint in in that first episode totally, it was hard for them totally. so you know they're 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 on board they get it um, um and then and then yeah lying in the meadow which is a tough one for me because there's stuff in this episode, specifically in the second half, with Kendall and Logan together, which I think is like I think anybody would be justified in saying that's one of the best sequences of the series is that long Absolutely. walk back yeah. with Kendall and Logan. That's such it's such a, like a barn burner scene between the two of them. It's amazing acting. It's that just explosive dynamic between Strong and Cox that is one of mm-hmm. uh, you know like the biggest weapons the show has in its arsenal. But Lion in the Meadow, I would say, is just it's just it really comes down to I think the writing at just a conceptual level. It feels so disjointed to me just because those subplots, um, you know, where you right. kind of have a day back at the office, and the, the and those directors Sherry Springer Berman and Robert Pulcini, who directed one of my favorite episodes, Safe Room. That episode, you know, I mean, I mean, they're very gifted filmmakers, and they I think really have a great take on the show, and I think they really. Uh, understand and groove with the actors in the process so well but safe room is so unified conceptually i've talked so many times about how that episode is so strong just as you know as a concept where everything takes place in the building and yeah you have all these office plots happening and it's it's telling you something about the world that these characters live in and about how they perceive themselves as being kind of like under siege um lying in the meadow maybe just by virtue of being in different locations um but also the way that those uh, subplots feel a little bit minor a little bit sitcom-y um right you know a little bit especially the the tattoo thing 
The tattoo yeah. thing, the, the tattoo thing, yeah, because it's trivial and it feels like a joke. But also the Shiv stuff and how it seems like Shiv is like sort of learning a lesson on the job has kind of like right. a sitcom feel to it. To That's me. how you described it, yeah, when yeah. we recorded the episode. That like, oh, Shiv and Roman are learning their little lessons in the office. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it just it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a strong concept and there's so much strong stuff in the episode but it's just a little bit weaker yeah. to me so i would put that a little bit lower than the other ones yeah understand um yeah i wonder uh, you know who of these directors will be back i mean there's a couple obvious ones that we know will be um but it'll be interesting to see um who they tap for for season four did we want to talk about a dream guest stars for the next season yeah, I mean, you go ahead because I I really like I don't really I don't really have any like I just I just know. think this is funny when people because because there was like a Twitter thing that went around at one point when people were like it was should... a prompt yeah yeah a prompt yeah. where people were like who should who should guest star on Succession and people are like naming ridiculous things like Oscar Isaac should be on Succession right you know, like, <laughs> Gene Hackman should come out of retirement and do an episode of Succession <laughs> like grow up man um you know which yeah. I mean like hey like the show is like increasingly beloved by the Hollywood community and I think there right. are maybe a lot of famous actors who would say yeah hell yeah I'll do an episode of Succession it's the best thing going right now it's better than the movies right um but at the same time it's like you know, I think so much of the magic of this show and like the tone of it that I love is that it's pulling from kind of like that, you know, when it, I love when it pulls from that sort of like HBO sort of like, you know, stable of actors who are like in the yeah. New York theater community, people who do a lot of TV roles. And so I'm always going to shout out one of my absolute favorite actors in this stable, which is Maria Dizia, who's had roles on The Douche. She was on uh, Lucy K's Horse and Peach. She had a small role in The Undoing. Um, she's in the really... Orange is the New Black. Orange is the New Black. She's, for... uh, she has a she has a great role. One of my favorite roles of hers in um, the Rebecca Hall film Christine. Um, so I'm right. always so I'm always gonna shout her out and hope that she shows up uh, someday. Um, crazy. She's things. just like a cl- a classic New York gal. Like love her. Like classic. she would fit in seamlessly. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I also want to shout out a friend of the show, Vikram Murthy, who suggested uh, the uh, amazing Barry Shabaka Henley, who will be familiar That's a to great one. fans That's of a Michael really Mann one. movies. He has a great scene in Collateral. Um, <laughs> recently saw him as, a, I think, the highlight of the classic film How Stella Got Her Groove Back. Um, and, uh, oh my god. He's... he's That's... <laughs> He, he is he is the best part of that. I feel very comfortable saying he is the best part of how Stella yes. got her groove back. It's very Shabaka That's quite a, quite a movie, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I think, uh, you know, when you're thinking about guest stars and everything, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta think, you gotta, it's like, you gotta think, not small, but you gotta think narrow within that, like, you gotta narrow cast within that range. Yeah. Well, I always talk about, like, wanting more from ATN and, um, like perhaps meeting another anchor besides Mark Ravenhead. Not that I don't absolutely love every Ravenhead scene, but maybe like, a a you know, spicy, uh, female anchor, like some, a, a Kimberly Guilfoyle type, maybe like a little, uh, you know, oh, yes. Botoxed yeah, yeah, yeah. up white, white Latina, like to, to, um, I don't know, host a debate or something. Um, there's just, yeah, there's a lot of fun, fun routes they can go down. We know this, that, uh, that an election is coming, politics stuff. Um, there's going to be, yeah, there's the Gojo stuff, which, you know, we don't know how they'll integrate, but that's, um, interesting for them to kind of go into, uh, you know, the tech world. Um, we'll see if they, if they 
you know, dive deep into that because, you know, Succession is a show about a, a dinosaur legacy company and, and, you know, tech is always alluded to as this, uh, this haunting specter, but you oh, know, yeah. this is really the first time that we're, um, you know, it's, it's being featured on the show front and center with Gojo. Well, it's a uh, it's tech TV season. We've got uh, the Uber show yeah. now. Super pumped, right? With Joseph Gordon-Levitt, we've got yeah uh, the Dropout with Amanda Seyfried just premiered. Did I fuck up her name? I Seyfried? watched Seyfried. Um, Seyfried, yeah. Seyfried. Um, I I we watched the first three episodes of that. It's good. Like she is, she's a little bit too pretty to play Elizabeth Holmes, but she <laughs> I mean she does she does the nerd stuff pretty well, and then like. By the third episode, she transforms the voice, and it's like, it's scary. It's, they should um, have just called the show the voice, um, because every <laughs> it's it's I, like I get the pun with the dropout, but like the voice, it's like everybody knows what you're talking about with Elizabeth Holmes, right? I mean, that would have been such right. a title. Yeah, but um, yeah, I, I'm 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 hoping that pans out because that's um, what's the uh, the Dune meme? Do the voice. That's it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, do yeah. the voice, and then. Well, yeah, there's another Elizabeth Holmes with, um, with, uh, with Kate McKinnon. Elizabeth, no, with Elizabeth, uh, Debicki, Debicki, I don't know. Oh, I'm not even aware, I'm not even aware of this. Yeah, anyway, we're Um, seeing, we're seeing a ton of projects about these, like, yeah, stories of, like, tech CEOs. Martin Shkreli. Martin Shkreli, startups, startups behaving badly. Yeah, so I, I think, um, when we eventually do an episode where we talk about maybe one of these books or we talk about something like a Disney war that gets into, you know, some of these examples of just like real life sort of like corporate warfare and things like that. We may uh, talk a little bit about this subgenre because it's kind of interesting to me because, well, I, I really don't have a lot of interest in a lot of these adaptations because honestly mm-hmm. you read, you, you read books on these subjects. I've read a, a few, uh, I've read a number of books about some of these like real life people, you know, biographies of people like Bezos and stuff like that. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, one of the things that is so remarkable about Succession and about Jesse Armstrong and these writers is that they are able to take this material about, honestly, the most boring people in existence. The people who have (laughs) just, like, no inner life, no personality. It's like, you try to ascribe, like, Shakespearean motivations, and it's like, honestly, no. You look at this stuff, it's like, there's there's nothing there. But they're able to take this stuff and and craft compelling human drama out of it uh, is really remarkable, uh, because some of this stuff is just like, honestly, it's, I don't understand how you can consume that much, that much information about these people. It's quite deadening. Um, yes so maybe a subject for uh for another day <laughs> the the tech tv boom yeah no there's, a, there's been a lot yeah well we've been going for a while should we talk about anything else we've seen rapid fire oscars <sighs> what are your picks oscars? what were your we only, we only talk about the oscars but what are your picks for, what were the best films you saw last year i Quick thumbs up thumbs I, down. I i missed i i haven't seen coda i really need to see coda i need to mm-hmm. see belfast um i liked power of the dog um what else was there? Let's I haven't see. seen Coda or Belfast. Totally sight unseen. I'm gonna say these s- these really strike me as the types of movies that if you just wait till the Oscars are done, you'll never hear about them again. Right. Them. Um. Don't look up. Oof. Rough. Um. Gonna gonna co-sign West Side the Story. Oof on that one. Didn't see that. Uh, I'm gonna out myself as a musical theater nerd and say that I loved Tick Tick Boom and Andrew Garfield's performance. Okay. Um. Thought it was great. Um, thought think he deserves it. Although I have not seen um, Will Smith in King Richard, and I believe he right. won the SAG. 
Um, I saw the being the Ricardos. Um, I wasn't as down on it as everybody else. I, I thought it was better than the Gabby, Chicago Gabby, Seven. Gabby texts me maybe once a week to say, hey, have you seen being the Ricardos yet? She's just constantly wanting to talk the Ricardos. <laughs> I want to talk about the, the supporting character. Uh, J.K. Simmons, he got um, uh, a nomination for that, which he was yes. great. Um, yes, and he's yeah, starting yeah. to look old, which makes me so sad. Um, but I hope that um, he got he got famous Kirsten, late J.K. Simmons. He was already. I hope <laughs> I hope Kirsten famous. I hope Kirsten Dunst gets an Oscar. Um, I hope that the Academy realizes they did her dirty for many decades. The industry did. I watched all the movies of the the Best Actress nominees. Um, usually that's the, the category my, my I care most about. Um, I actually no, I didn't see Penelope Cruz, but she am. Uh, parallel mothers but i think that's actually one of the better ones yeah. saw the lost daughter saw spencer saw tammy Faye. um my prediction was that nicole kidman was gonna get the oscar but i i mean now jessica chastain is uh seems to be leading the field i don't know um and a, and a, <laughs> and a huge win for the jeremy strong stan army jessica chastain <laughs> has has all oh the my oscar God. heat if you guys haven't seen the pictures of Jessica Chastain and Jeremy Strong, like just doing two, weird two normal people hanging out, <laughs> two normal, friends. two normal friends, as two Brendan told friends. me when I, yeah, yeah, yeah. when I texted him the picture. But yeah, Jessica Chastain, Oscar Isaac and, and Jeremy Strong apparently were all uh, buddies back in the day before any of them were working. And then, of course, Jeremy Strong um, is in a few movies with Jessica Chastain, Molly's Game, which I watched for the first time last year. Zero Dark Thirty, which I watched when it came out. I don't have any interest in revisiting. Um, maybe there's another one. But yeah, Jessica Chastain and who was it? Anne Hathaway came out <laughs> to, in support of uh, of Jeremy Strong. But oh I need to... Um, yeah, I, I, I want to see Belfast. And I want to see Coda. And uh, I need to, to get on some of the, the documentaries. I know you were uh, an old head for old this pilled. award best, season. Best old picture of 2021. M. Night Shyamalan's old. 100%, it was good. 100% serious. Good. 100% serious about this, by the way. I feel like there's this thing with Shyamalan where, you know, I was thinking about this actually recently because I was watching the Kanye documentary, Genius, which I think, which is also, oh, yeah. which is also really cool. Um, it's cool. But Kanye and Shyamalan, there's, 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 it's not, it's not exact, but there's, there's a similar thing that goes on with them there where I, this thing I see with their fans um, of a certain age where it's like they see somebody get really built up by like uh, the critical establishment and then kind of torn down a bit too. Like mm. Shyamalan really had the critics turn on him and Kanye's kind Absol- of been... And I, Ka- really hard, and, and yeah. Kanye, and Kanye not quite the same way because I mean the music music criticism, you know, film criticism, right. kind of, kind of diff- different ecosystems, different trends and stuff. But Kanye is kind of being left behind in that same way too. Yeah. And, I see, and I, see, I see the defensiveness and the protectiveness of the fans really come out where they're like, you know, like, well, you know, this person's still trying to innovate. This person's still trying to push boundaries. Why are you leaving them behind just because they're not cool anymore? or whatever um and so people have been really protective of them it's like so I, and i'm really sympathetic to that you know to a degree because like with Shyamalan, some of these movies it's like i'm sorry the happening i tried i can't get there with the happening i don't yeah. think i don't think anything about that movie works i don't understand what he thought he was trying to do and so when i sat down to watch old you know you know already kind of gearing up to be like uh, people I, I know that certain people are just going to come out and say this is the greatest thing ever and there's just going to people are just kind of kind of like draw their the battle lines and take their positions but man, I was old just had me from like just minute one. Like there's something that like Ebert said about Shyamalan. He, he reviewed signs about how he said Shyamalan is a born filmmaker who's able to summon apprehension out of thin air. 
Um, mm. call, he says it's a movie in which the plot is the rhythm section and not the melody, which, you know, maybe is like kind of wow. like, kind of like, you know, maybe sort of like putting it rather strongly. But I think even if you didn't think that was true of Signs, I think that's absolutely true of old, a movie that is just like, I, I mean, I don't know how you can watch that movie and come up with anything that says like, that guy is a born image maker. It is no, so it was... consistently spellbinding and captivating to watch. Sometimes, yeah. some, I think for some people that's not enough or they were looking for something different. Um, but for me, I was just totally in awe of it. Yeah, it's absolutely my favorite movie I saw last year. Um, yeah, no, I, I thought it was it was great. And I'm, I've always been a fan of Shyamalan. I mean, yeah, he's made some mistakes. But I think, um, I think, yeah, the whole the whole ecosystem world of, of uh, criticism has been very, very hard on him. Um, so I'm glad that that people enjoyed old. Um, my also, I would recommend just like my favorite screenplay of the season was um, Mass. Um, Martha Plimpton, uh, Ann Dowd, actually the the actor who plays <laughs> the vice president on Succession, um, yes, the Boyer. Yeah, yeah. it, it's it's a hard premise to stomach, um, but if you can watch it, um, really impressive debut screenplay. Um, got some action at the Independent Spirit Awards. Unfortunately, didn't get much for the Oscars, but um, for me, that was I think. Uh, the the best written movie that I saw. Oh, oh, obviously after House of Gucci, you know. <laughs> and Dowd, big favorite of the Roy cast because obviously we have our our genesis and our leftovers uh, viewership, right? So we're yeah, we're, we're big fans of Ann Dowd. Yeah, big quick fans. Yeah, yeah, quick thumbs th- uh, uh, thumbs down from me to West Side Story, Lost Daughter. I Power, didn't see it. Power of the Dog and Worst Person in the World. You didn't like Lost Daughter. Various various elements of just like didn't do it for me to like actively yeah. disliked some of these. Um, but thumbs okay, up, yeah. thumbs up to uh, Licorice Pizza, to Drive My Car, to A Hero. Uh, that's the other one I didn't see, Licorice Pizza, yeah. Wife of a Spy, yeah, Licorice Pizza, yeah, again, to quote Kendall Roy, because I love age gap relationships and I love to justify them. <laughs> I love Licorice Pizza. And then no, also... I really want to see that, yeah. I, I gotta see that one. And Serrano, I want to see. Which one? Serrano. I don't know what that is. What is that? Um, with Peter Dinklage. Oh, oh, Cyr- um, Cyrano. Is it Serrano? Cyrano. S- sorry, I, you're probably right. Cyrano. I've always heard you didn't like Cyrano. Um, you didn't like Power of the Dog. No, I mean, again, you know, all due respect to you know the great Jane Campion and everything. Um, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, the movie did not do it for me. I may have made a mistake by reading the novel by Thomas Savage. Um, mm. Right before I also watched it, because I did think that the novel was fucking incredible. Great book. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and the, yeah, I didn't feel like the movie added a whole lot, or I felt like it was kind of stiff. I don't know. I mean, I, I heard Sam Elliott go off about this movie recently, and I don't really agree with the way he put things, but I'm also... Oh my god, yeah. <laughs> but I'm, 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 I'm protective, you know, in certain, uh, for my own reasons, of the, you know, the classical form of the Western, and when people try to do different things with it, you know, I'm always kind of like watching very skeptically to see if it's going to come off. And for me, I don't know, it didn't, didn't quite work uh, in this, in this yeah. context for me. There's a few, there's a few more I have to see before I firm up my, my ballot. I'm going to maybe, maybe put some money down this year. Um, <laughs> I usually do pretty well in the predictions. I'm, I'm very happy to see Jesse Buckley, Oscar nominee. Um, keep it coming any good project i mean she's just like 
to like I could I could watch her do anything. Uh, yeah, she's absolutely one of my favorite actors right now, Jesse Buckley. I mean, yeah. she's she's phenomenal. Yeah, um, didn't was not a fan of the Lost Daughter, but it does have a, like several wonderful performances in it. Um, yeah, um, yeah, no, I can see the critiques of of, of Lost Daughter for sure. Um, was not perfect. I don't know, maybe it just feels like olivia coleman sometimes is just like you know it's just a given like she'll just be it's crazy how quickly she got into that like meryl catbird seat where she's just gonna be nominated for like everything she does now (laughs) yeah um you know like when meryl meryl was working for a long time before she got to that position where it feels like most people only heard of olivia coleman like you know what six seven years ago and now she's just everywhere yeah and she is an incredibly likable person um doesn't seem yeah. to have be be well, uh and she's uh she's like, in the family of course right having been you know a cast or series regular on peep show um so yep. she's in the she's whole sort of like sure succession family. armstrong family yeah come on yeah come on olivia come do a succession guest spot come on <laughs> that i mean <laughs> we were talking about like don't just throw like heavy hitters in but i mean she would be perfect <laughs> yeah 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 um, but you always do kind of want to see those like yeah those old peep show or uh ianucci regulars kind of show up mm-hmm. yeah but it'll be a, a fun night uh hollywood is back so um <laughs> maybe we'll see some of the succession cast at like the vanity fair party and uh you know i'll post some pictures on on the Roycast instagram uh, but yeah, we'll put this out, and then in short order, we'll also have that discussion of the game uh, with Adam Naiman. And then, yeah, just keep your, I don't know what the expression is, ears peeled, <laughs> ears open. <laughs> keep your ears turned towards your podcasting devices for, for more uh, Roycast content, which is coming your way eventually, and hit us up in the DMs. Uh, if there yes. are sort of like bibliography-style topics, things you'd like us to discuss, mailbag questions, uh, or if you just want to say hey, you know, sometimes we do that too absolutely we here for you we here for you all right well um i think that's it we don't have a a, yep. a formal ending for this uh but yeah uh been great chatting and uh we'll get together and do it again soon and thanks to anybody who listened to this take care take care all right bye-bye once a girl i knew